0: Okay, at peace, some versions might say peaceable. Uh, One of the things that I think that in the first century people were being taught by those uh, men in their household churches, those home churches, uh, would have been Luke chapter 10 with uh, Jesus and the lawyer in the parable of the good Samaritan. And so I want you to turn there, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn there, and there's going to be verses 25 through 37. 25 through 37. And I'm going to try to summarize this. This is one of the uh, most challenging parables that Jesus talks about, even though it may sound uh, up forward, uh, very straightforward, and very uh, easy, very simple. So I'm not going to try to make it difficult. I'm going to make it uh, applicable for us today. Uh, we have, uh, in, the, in the first century church, as well as today, we have this idea of we want to avoid conflict and be peaceable. But we don't avoid conflict at all costs. We want to prevent conflict, of, of course, but we want to be peaceable people. But what does that mean? Jesus was certainly not an example of someone who avoided or was able to avoid conflict. It just didn't happen. Everywhere Jesus went, there was conflict. So in chapter 10, in verse 25 through 37, with the parable of the good Samaritan and the lawyer, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of background not as a boring review, which would be, to me, it's, it's so, um, there's so much stuff in there, uh, but at least enough to give you the taste of what is going on here. And what we have, I think, is two visions for Israel at the time. Two visions. What does it mean to be Peaceful. Because Israel has a vision about, and they use it uh, by saying, my neighbor is, and those, who I should, those are the people that I should be peaceful with. Uh, you can imagine an oppressed people. I, I wi- I've never been, a, in my lifetime, I've never really w- witnessed oppression. Not on a consistent basis. I've seen people who have been oppressed. I have met and talked with people who have been oppressed. Um, but it, it was more intermittent and not necessarily widespread. I cannot imagine what it would be like to have uh, soldiers around my house from a different empire, different country, telling me what to do all of the time, pushing me around. Uh, I cannot imagine what kind of poisonous conflicts there would be still in a society, like with the Samaritans and so forth between the Samaritans and the Jews. I cannot imagine that. But we need to imagine that. We need to understand that this is going on and this is the reason Luke is using this uh, is because he would have been in one of those home churches and he would have been listening to somebody else teach this very thing and talking about the way of peace. And so there's... There's interesting ways to talk about that because both come at a very high cost. And one of them is correct and one of them isn't. One of them is godly and one of them isn't. And so here we have a, a lawyer who stood up to test uh, Jesus. Now, to, to have you in a, a setting, put yourself in the lawyer's uh, position a little bit. In a teaching setting, they're actually on a road where Jesus is talking about the severity of discipleship, and they're actually talking about all of these things amongst maybe the 72 that have returned from being sent out to all of these cities, Uh, Chorazin, Chorazin, and then uh, some of these others, Capernaum, he curses, all of these things interesting to hear Jesus talk about, and now they're all sitting and that was the normal way. So um, how many of you have ever been to Camp Body for the, where we go to the men's retreat? How many of the yeah, some Yeah, all of you have probably been there. Okay, so that's what I imagine when I think of Jesus and the disciples and everybody sitting there on that plateau overlooking the river. I see them sitting all there, and then somebody stands up and says, Ah, I have a question for you. And that's a sign of respect. And so the lawyer is a torah lawyer. He is not a uh criminal lawyer uh he's not a prosecutor in that sense he's not a um, uh he's not a lawyer in our modern way of thinking. he is a religious uh l- legal aspect lawyer of the Torah or the jewish law Judaism so he's kind of like Paul in a way, and so he is not just somebody. Who would we would go to a retreat? Somebody goes, I got a question. It is much more severe than that. Uh, what you have is you have somebody who is an expert in the law, and it's still not decided what neighbor means. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's actually going to redefine that question because there's something going on in the world at the time that needs to be taught. Something new is being created, a new community of people, a new way of peace. And uh, that's what you and I are, are going to be teaching uh, in, as a church. That's our responsibility as a church is to show people this new way of peace. All right. So those are the two distinct visions. So you have this lawyer stands up and puts Jesus to the test. Now, no one else knows that yet. Because this is a standard way of talking to rabbis or those whom you think are rabbis, this guy does not understand what we understand. He does not understand that Jesus is Son of God. He does not understand uh, that Jesus is the Messiah in that way. he does not understand this he He has suspicion uh but there's a type of Messiah that they are looking forward to uh, many people are looking forward to, and that's what he that's why it is. Uh, indicative in his statement, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, the first thing I want you to do is forget what you have ever known about that question, unless you know what I'm about to say. Because the Reformation and the way of studying this question about what shall I do to inherit eternal life has nothing to do with what we probably think it means. Okay? You had some words you wrote down this morning. You still don't know what they mean yet, and I'm going to give you the meaning of one of them. The Ionian is the Greek for this eternal life, life in the age to come, which would also be um, ha olam haba, and that is those two things that you need to think about. So you're going to have to review and rewind to do that. But this idea of life in the age to come is critical to this idea of what Peace is all about. The Jews expected a Messiah, and they expected a the Messiah to do certain things: restore the temple in corruption, dominate the nations. Uh, do so. There's all kinds of rabbinic teaching that I've studied for the past week that I'm like, this is way too much. Okay, this is way too much. But there's a ton of it, and there's. It's not like this is some strange idea that this guy is saying. So he asks. This question, and it's a standard rabbinic question. And so Jesus will even help us understand it in the ancient way, not in the modern way, which is, I think, incorrect. He said to him, what is written in the law? Okay, you're a Torah lawyer. What is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, how do you interpret it? What's your hermeneutic? How do you teach it? And he answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, uh, and your neighbor as yourself. Bingo! It's not uncommon. They knew this. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five, and Leviticus nineteen, eighteen, and following. You shall not hate your neighbor and the foreigner in your heart. You shall not do that. You shall love him as yourself, because you were, yourselves were once slaves in Egypt. You shall not treat the foreigner who comes into your land in this way that you were treated by the Egyptians all of these things come into play and this is a standard conversation that they have so what we have is we have a serious moment here in scripture because Jesus is in this intensified journey to the cross uh, Luke chapter 9 verse 51 all the way through chapter 19 and following you have him on this road and you have these discussions going on and he's going to use a parable here in a second. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Now, what does he say? You have answered correctly. Okay. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What is he talking about? What is the lawyer saying? This is the way to eternal life or life or the kind of life in the age to come. What is the lawyer saying? I have to do these things not think these things. So what is it that I have to do? How is it that I have to live in the age to come in order to have that quality of kingdom life is what he's actually saying. Life in the messianic age. Because once the Messiah comes, once God brings in his kingdom, then, we expecting, then we're expecting a Teken olam a mending of the world we expect the messiah to mend the world but it has different it has clarification obviously it's not the way everybody thinks so we have to figure that out and so that's why uh the conversation is not over and jesus said to him you've answered correctly do this and you will have that life do these things but of course Jesus knows that there's something else in in the mind, and so you have Luke writing, but he desiring to justify himself, said to jesus, and who exactly is my neighbor now I really wanted to uh, i I know that I've talked with one of you about doing this briefly. I really wanted to come in here uh with a a, a kind of like a corduroy uh, sport coat tie have on some Um, dress shoes and then I really wanted to sit down put on my red bright red cardigan and button it up put on my tennis shoes and say hi neighbor and then I would have sung that, that song no I wouldn't have okay it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood a wonderful day in the beauty wood uh, yeah, it's kind of corny, isn't it? That's the one. Okay, so uh, you can imagine that aspect of Mr. Rogers, but this guy says, and who is my neighbor? What he means is, is uh, I want to know if you being the one who is going to, who is saying you're going to usher in this kingdom of God and change the world, I want to know what that means. Does that mean more security and peace for those who love the jews or not well remember you're an oppressed person in a in a press, oppressive empire um no one's going to blame you for wanting to feel more secure and more right in the world and here you have jesus saying well let me tell you a story as he usually does He doesn't just give you the straight answer, does he? Because he has something in mind that we need to learn in order to understand his way of peace. So let's take the time and just read the little parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's important. And he fell among robbers. That's important. Who stripped him. That's important and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That's important to understand. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite. When he came by, uh, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, at this point in the parable, you and I default into well, we know what the ending is. We know what this means. It means do good. If you see anybody in need, help them. God is never going to say us talk to stop us and say no. You should not help people. Okay, that is a simple universal truth, just of humanity alone. Uh, we help one another because we want to be helped. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Furthermore, even though we can appreciate the efforts of uh, the organization, the Good Samaritan or Samaritan's Purse, Jesus never says that the Samaritan is good. Why? He's not really good because he's an enemy. Okay, now I want you to think or imagine without me having to pull out things, examples for you, which is probably what I should do, who would you immediately go and vilify right now? What's that? Taliban. Taliban, okay. Yeah, you can think of, you can imagine who people might have problems with, conflicts with, right? Right now, in our culture right now that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, uh, the unexpected, the expected priest Levite, um, somebody from Galilee helped him out. This guy has been an easy target because he's on this road where you had, uh, robbers that could easily spot somebody from up high. They came down, they stripped him. Uh, they, Uh, stripped him, leaving him half dead. Stripping him means that you can't identify who he is. Okay, in a culture, in that kind of a culture, you had markers that would, you could know, that's a priest. And he would have good uh, transportation coming down. He could have helped the guy. Um, He's probably coming from his two-week priestly duty, right? And there's going to be consequences. He, He can't identify the guy, so it's not somebody, it's not a fellow Jew even, That he was thinking of. That's why Jesus uses this ambiguity of this as a man. What does he say? A man. He doesn't say a Jew. He says a man. And so you have the priest coming down from his two-week priestly assignment. He's coming down. He's going to Jericho where he's going to stay. And if he touches a corpse, which is this isn't all about purity, but it has a lot to do with their response, That he has to go back up to Jerusalem, and there could be some serious problems, even with the Levite. And so it's not something that I want you to think, oh, stupid priest, stupid Levite. No, they had justified reasons for they could lose their careers by doing something like this. All kinds of consequences would occur if they messed with this guy. And furthermore, this guy could have been a plant. He could be faking it. Somebody could have put him there so that we would stop. They could come and rob us. All kinds of reasons, right? So what is going on is what's happening uh, in the world at the time with the Jews. What are we doing? We're rationalizing what? The Jews are rationalizing what? Don't help. It costs too much. It just costs us too much with our relationship with God to help. It's just too risky. Then you have the, the poisonous Samaritan. Uh, that's the point. He is an enemy. He's a hated enemy. Uh, again, think of your uh, image of the enemy that you are thinking of. Uh, we, politics, we could say Republican or Democrat, right? You choose one. Put him in there. This one comes and helps and uses his oil and wine, uses his beast, goes into Jericho, a place where the priests are, where there is going to be a village of people seeing people coming from afar and they're going to go, that guy's not coming in here. In fact, we might just kill him before he gets here. Not a improbability. This Samaritan in the story, of course, is doing something that is risking every bit of his life to do what he does. Then he takes him to the Pandakeon, which is the hotel, all right? Now, we've talked about this in the past a little bit. This is my point of view. You can scrutinize it. Uh, I don't think Jesus was born in a cave. I think he was born, uh, um, there was no room in the catalyma, the guest room in the uh, a first-century house, and so they put him in the living room, and that's where the mangers would have been, where the animals came in at night and so forth. So there's a difference, Pandakian versus Catalima. Pandakian is the hotel. There weren't any hotels near the road. The hotels are going to be in Jericho, and you have him coming into hostile territory, and you have him saying... Here's money for him now. Whatever he needs, take care of him. I will come back and I will pay all of it. He's using every bit of himself heart, soul, mind, strength. Why? Because the guy had compassion on him. Heart. Right? The Samaritan, as he journeyed where he came, and when he saw him, what? He had compassion. What does the Jew and what do we tend to not have at times on the world who is lying in the ditch, half dead? Don't know if they're really dead or not. What do we tend not to have toward the world? Compassion. We look at it and go, their problem, right? Got themselves into that own mess. I'm not going there. I'm not dealing with it. Now we're beginning to see two different visions of peace in the world and what the costs are from Luke's statements. So he went to him, bound him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Strange combination, but sometimes used as medication in ancient world and uh, certainly his resources. Then he set him on his own animal not somebody else's animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. What do you see here? You see the same thing over and over said in a different way. What is Jesus doing in the world at this time? He's taking care of people and people that don't like him and people that are against him. And so the lawyer's question, wishing to justify himself, saying, who's my neighbor, is going to be changed right now as Jesus says this. Which of these three, lawyer, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And then you have the Obvious response, he said, the one who showed him, what? Mercy. Peace. And Jesus said to him, what? You've got the right answer. No. What does he say? Go and do likewise. That's the hard part. That's why this passage is so challenging, is because Jesus is the one going and doing what the law actually says to do he's redefining every you've heard it said of old love your neighbor hate your enemy i say unto you in other words traditions rabbis have told you for generations love your neighbor hate your enemy what am i telling you your neighbor is your enemy Bless those who persecute you. Oh, that's some stiff stuff there for somebody who's in facing oppression, facing pain. Wants to be delivered. Knows that the Messiah, the promises of the Messiah, hopes that those, that Messiah will deliver them from oppression. And you're telling me to go love my enemy. Jesus is offering a different way of peace that is very radical in terms of understanding what it means to be a Jew. So I know that this is a difficult aspect of presenting this, but that's why I am not trying to distill it into something that it's not, but present it to us in this way if it connects or if it parallels as we teach one another in the church how to live we have to carve out the new way of peace in the world. And when, so we, don't, we don't say, who is a friend of the church? You know, we know that. We, we should say, how do I be a friend to those who are not a part of this church? Who are maybe in this church who I don't care for as much? How do I continue to develop relationships within the brotherhood and outside the brotherhood in the new way of peace? That's a responsibility of leaders to show us how to do that. That is hard to do. That is not easy to do. This parable is very simple on the surface, but it has a much broader understanding especially in the ancient world. And for us, it has a much richer and meaningful illustration other than once in a while, if you see your neighbor down the road, if he's got a flat tire, help him fix it. I've read that in other books, in Christian publications. Been in classes where they go, what should we do? If we see somebody on the highway, should we help them? Here says, you know, don't we want to be a good Samaritan? Yes, you know, if, if you think it's safe, go ahead and help them. That's perfectly fine, okay? I wouldn't say to my wife, you know, yeah, stop, you know, do it. Uh, because I don't know the dangers involved. Um, the point is, is, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about the random acts of kindness. He's talking about using all of your resources, using all of your being to forge and carve out this new way of peace in the world. And it's going to cost you everything. Why? Because it cost him everything. It is not a casual parable. And it is shocking to the lawyer. That's why you don't hear a response after this because it is understood in their culture. You just talk to someone who's basically on the level of a you know a judge up in Jerusalem somewhere, in the Galilee somewhere, appointed by... It could have been the young Apostle Paul if we really wanted to, probably not at this time. But you have the idea of level of understanding here, and you have this challenge of what is your vision, Jesus, for for this kingdom that god is ushering in because i don't i really don't know if it's israel's vision and jesus is saying uh, you don't really know what israel's vision should be and what the vision of the future is going to be it is right now he's bringing it in what does he do he goes willingly to a cross and dies and forges an incredible way of peace. You've heard in the different versions of First Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 13, uh, and then we talked about it even in class this morning with the idea of leading godly and quiet, peaceable lives. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we avoid... Um, things that would be interpreted as conflict. Jesus is heading right into it. But he's preaching the way of peace. And that needs to be understood and defined in a much clearer way than those rabbis were doing it. And as the church, we have that responsibility. And especially as leaders, we have the responsibility of helping people understand this is the way of peace in the world. It is not the way the world portrays it. It may not be the way our country portrays it. It is above nationalism. I love our country. I love other parts of the world, too. But the kingdom of God is above that, and there's a reason why. And it's because of one man who told these stories in a church that was birthed and kept telling them. We need to be continuing that tradition in a faithful way. With that, you have an invitation always to respond. The way of peace with God is through death. Death into a a, a faithful watery grave so that you can be raised to walk and live. Do this and live. To walk mercifully. To walk compassionately. To give everything you have, all of your resources, to the cause of this way of peace. That's what becoming a Christian begins with, is obeying the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it begins in baptism. And then it continues on with our faithful obedience to him. Everything whatsoever he has commanded. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. Listening to it. How did Jesus live his life? Uh, By some few good principles. No, by every word that proceeded forth from the mouth of God. Everything. You and I carry on that tradition and it is the one of the future. So with that, I invite you, if you need to be immersed into Christ, let's make that happen. I saw the curtains Nice. It, it looks very good. Does everybody, everybody agree? You want to clap and let everybody know at home that that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yes. Very nice. Um, who did that? I don't know. Rebecca? Rebecca she, lives she lives in your neighborhood. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, cool. That is very awesome. We need to thank thank her probably in a big way, don't we? N- well, yeah, Okay. That's that's one way. <laughs> so um so yes, Mark, you're gonna sing a, an invitation song, Arms of Love, I guess, right? And uh if you have a need this morning we, we we can talk about it, you can come let us know in one way or another as we stand and sing our invitation song.